Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. All right. Pull out your Bibles. We always invite you and encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Uh, I love my old school paper Bible, but if you've got a Bible app on your phone, you just go for that, open it up. Uh, We're going to be in James chapter 1. As I said, I am excited to dive into this message and this series. And so what I want to do to get us started is is tell you a little story. Uh, Pastor Dan and I, because we're always trying to become, just uh, grow. One of our, if if you go outside and you look at one of our crosswalk values, Part of our crosswalk uh, culture is to keep on learning and growing. It's the K in crosswalk out there in the banners. So Pastor Dan and I uh, together are in a coaching network. And every month in this coaching network, we read a book to grow, and then we meet together with a number of other pastors on a national level uh, via a, a webinar and then via a phone line. This month... We're reading a book. I think probably everybody in our whole culture and society could enjoy and benefit from this book. It's by Kevin DeYoung, and the title of the book is Crazy Busy. I want to start this series by reading you the opening lines from Kevin DeYoung's Crazy Busy. He writes, I'm the worst possible person to write this book, and on the other hand, maybe the best. My life is crazy busy. I don't say that as a boast or a brag. I'm not trying to win any contests. I'm just stating the facts, or at least describing the way my life feels almost every single day. I often make the quip, I'm supposed to write a book on busyness. If only I could find the time. And I wasn't joking. How did I get this way? How did you get this way? I've yet to meet anyone in America who responds to the question, how are you, with the reply, well, for starters, I'm not really very busy. I suppose there must be a six-year-old somewhere out there who doesn't have anything to do, and some dear folks at the nursing home who could use a few more interruptions, but for almost everyone in between, there's a pervasive sense of being unrelentingly filled up and stressed out. Can anybody relate to this? Am I, no? Okay. Well, then you can just check out for a little while. I do not write this book as one who has reached the summit and now bends over to throw the rope down to everyone else. More like a guy with a toehold three feet off the ground looking for my next grip. I'm writing this book not because I know more than others, but because I want to know more than I do today. I want to know why life feels the way it does, why our world is the way it is, and why I am the way I am. And here's his final line, and I want to change. I I read this as just one single example because today's message, we had a message a few weeks ago about busyness. And today's message isn't strictly about busyness. But I read that because I think how he writes that, like as I'm reading that, I'm feeling his stress. Are you? 
And I'm, I'm getting in sync. I can really empathize with the feelings that he's experiencing. Yes, specifically about bus- busyness for him, but it might not be about busyness for you. It, it might be something else going on in your life that's been going on a long time. You keep circling back to it again and again. You think you've got escape velocity this time from the gravity of that issue, and then, bam, it comes right back, and you find yourself going full circuit and not beating that issue once again. And, and you would say, man, I... I on this issue, I am really no better. I am still learning. I'm not at the summit ready to throw a rope down to anyone else. I'm three feet off the ground, still trying to get it somehow and feel like I barely got a toehold. And then you would end that with whatever it is in your life, and I want to change. See, that's really what this series is about, is that All of us in some area, usually for many of us in multiple areas in our life, we look at our lives and we say, Jesus, I want to change for you, for myself, for my spouse, for my children, for my parents, for my friends. I I want to change. But every time I try to change, it just feels like there are invisible forces dragging me right back to where I started. And, and, and Julie and I went to the gym last night. Do you know what we experienced about three weeks into January at the gym? Seven o'clock on a Friday night. Do you know what the parking lot usually looks like at the gym at seven o'clock on a Friday night? About three cars there. Do you know what it looked like last night? We had to park way down at the end. It was full. It was absolutely chock-a-block full. We've been through this cycle about three or four times now, and we know, don't worry, wait about a month or six weeks and there'll be plenty of parking again. And that's not, it's, it could be busyness, it could be the gym, it could be whatever we feel we want to get better at. And, and we want that. And, and what this series is about is about how God is here with us and loves us and has amazing power for us in life change. And that there is a whole supernatural way that we can tap into because God is God and he loves us to bring about at least some and maybe many and possibly all of the changes we want, although imperfectly. Because in this life, we will never ever be close to perfect, but with the Holy Spirit's power, we can make changes. Pull out your program again. I wanna show you the overall of the series and then we're gonna dive into tonight's. I get excited about this series just because some of the, the topics Maybe you feel that you just plain want to feel more. Maybe you've been accused of being kind of blank and emotionless, cold even. Do you see that first topic? Faith converts coldness into compassion. How about the week after that? I'm on the bottom of the right here. Faith tames mouths and minds. You know what my mom always used to say to me when I wasn't even a teenager? Say, Jeffrey, you have a mouth on you. 
I'm going to wash your mouth out. She was from Kentucky. I've told you that before. Washing your mouth out with soap was very powerful. Faith tames mouths and mind better than soap. Faith turns us from self to God. Maybe you've been told, maybe you even realize that you have been selfish, that you are selfish, that the world and the universe even tends to revolve around you. Would you like to gain escape velocity and learn how to be a a less selfish person? We talk about that. And then faith transforms impatient worriers. Anybody here ever impatient? Anybody ever worry? We're going to talk about that kind of thing. So that basically the goal here, the stakes are high for this message series. And that's why I'm so excited about it. For me, the higher the stakes on a message series, the more excited I get about it. It's either we keep circling back. You know what the Bible calls that? A dog returning to its vomit. Or with God's help, with God's steady, faithful love, with God's forgiveness, we learn how to make some pretty good changes in our lives and we actually accomplish some of those because God is at work for us, serving us and helping us. So let's dive in because this is why I'm so excited about tonight and the kickoff of our new series. And Faith Changes Everything, that subtitle is going to feature in very prominently as we, as we discuss here. We want... We want you to understand that faith is a resource because Jesus is a resource that can help you be less exhausted, less discouraged, feel less powerless and hopeless, be less frustrated, and instead have hope in your life. So, James, take a look at that first passage. Now, we're taking a chapter at a time, so let me just tell you about the approach here. Um, I'm not going to be able to hit every verse in the first chapter of James. If you've got your Bible handy, you can be reading along and see the entire chapter each time during this series. Make a habit. One of your new things can be bring your Bibles to church Um, because you'll want to see those verses that are in between. If you don't have your Bible, go home and read the entire first chapter of James after we're done. I'm picking and choosing a little bit here, and I'll admit that to you. We're starting with chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So the very first thing that we have to hear is, who's writing this letter? And the, and the author of this letter that we'll be studying for the next six weeks is a gentleman named James. There are a number of different Jameses in the Bible, but we know uh, with, with pretty good certainty which James is being talked about here. And that James, without going into all the technical detail of how we know this, is the brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus was born miraculously through the power of the Holy Spirit. His mother was a virgin. We know this from the Bible. Uh, We also know the Bible says that Joseph and Mary had no relations until Jesus was born. But after Jesus was born, it was a normal marriage. And in this normal marriage, Joseph and Mary had relations with one another and there were other children. One of them wrote a book. His name is James. We believe he was uh, Jesus' next uh, youngest brother after Jesus. There's another brother of Jesus that wrote a book and his name is Jude. 
If you read the letter of Jude, that was written by another brother of Jesus. So this guy knows a lot about Jesus. They shared a bunk bed growing up. They were fighting over the food at the dinner table, even though Jesus never sinned, right? He probably still was deserving of his fair share. I don't know. Anyway, the, this, the typical stuff went on, and these guys knew each other. The other thing to know about James is, he certainly was not always a believer. If you read in the Gospels, you, there's, a, there's an account where Jesus' brothers and mother come to pick him up because they think he's gone off his rocker. And we better collect him before he hurts himself or somebody else and bring him home and, and take care of him. And they, they don't believe Jesus' claims at all. The Bible tells us that the thing that changes this is the resurrection. And that when Jesus appeared to them after he had clearly died, remember Jesus' mom had been, had been right there standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. That was pretty convincing evidence and they became believers. Do you notice how James addresses himself to the people that he's writing. He doesn't say James, a brother of Jesus. He says James, a servant of God and of the, what? Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is a man who's been transformed by faith. He no longer considers that you know, little brother, big brother relationship, the main thing at all in his relationship to Christ. Now he understands who Jesus really is. Jesus is true God and true man, the son of God and his savior. And he addresses the people that way and he says, I am a, a servant. I also love the fact that he calls himself a servant. A lot of times here at Crosswalk, we talk about your identity as a child of God. We, we've said uh, in many times in our teaching, who are you? I am a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Many of you have that phrase memorized. But did you realize that there is another prominent identity featured in the Bible and we hear many believers identifying themselves this way? Not only I'm a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, but my identity is I'm God's servant. And as Jesus first served me in love, sacrificed for me in love, now in returning that love and in thanking him, I am also God's servant and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am. One of the keys to life change is that true life change. Now, I didn't put a blank on this one, so write this down somewhere, is true life change does not begin, as many people in our, our culture teaches it, as an outside-in process. If you will just develop the right habits, if you will just have the right apps on your smartphone, if you will just learn how to manage your time on your calendar, if you will just create a list of your goals, 
then your life can change. That is all of that, and that's how this series is gonna be critically different from all the other stuff out there that's telling you how to be a new person is here we're going to talk about change that begins from the inside out. And the critical, critical place that it begins is with a change of identity. Do you know yourself not only as a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, but as a servant? A servant of the very Lord Jesus who first served you living every day perfectly so that he could give his righteousness to you, served you by being insulted, beaten, spit upon, taken to the cross, dying. This is the Jesus who loves you so much that he served you to the nth degree, giving up his entire life for you. Now he says, if you want to return that, if you want to say thank you for that, if you want to love me, then recognize that while you are a child of God, you are also a servant of God. And that is who you are. And that's that's what James realizes. And he realizes this important, important thing. I want you to write this in. I'm a servant. And this is from Jesus' love, not for Jesus' love. See, think about James, who had been such a skeptic. And yet, Jesus still loved him. And when Jesus died and rose again, Jesus had to decide, who am I going to show myself to and serve by just reappearing and saying, see, I'm alive. Here's here's the nail marks. And he, and he chose James, his brother, as one of those people that he would appear to. And James is awestruck by the love that would bring that about. And so James is now a servant, not trying to win Jesus' love. He's not serving for Jesus' love. He's serving because he knows, I'm already loved. My Savior, my Lord, loved me enough to go to the cross for me. And that's how we serve too. We don't serve for Jesus' love, to win it, to earn it, to get it. We serve because it's already ours. And now we want to love and thank in return. I'm a servant. This is from Jesus' love, not for Jesus' love. James goes on in verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know who you are. You're a servant. And as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, when challenges come your way, you take it as, okay, here's a new opportunity for me to serve the Jesus who first served me. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And here's the second reason he says. In this fallen world, tests and trials and challenges are a key way for God to develop your faith. See what he says next, verse three? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Faith completely has altered James' perception. When we say faith changes everything, 
We don't so much mean that it changes our circumstances. We mean that it changes us on the inside. Our, our perceptions of what's going on out here change entirely. James is going, man, when I see challenges, when I, when I meet tests and trials, I get psyched, I get stoked. It's pure joy for me. Because I know that this is going to be God's way to build me up, strengthen me, and develop me spiritually so that I can be mature and complete, not lacking a thing. You know that we do not live in a gentle world. This is the furthest thing from a gentle world. And we do not live in a generous world either. We usually have to fight and scrap for every inch. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God said, now that the world has fallen into sin, every time you work, every time you do anything, there's gonna be thorns and thistles and it, it will be a constant battle and only by the sweat of your brow are you gonna ever make any progress in life. Boy, do we ever experience that, right? This is not a gentle world, but our God is a generous God. And our God is a courageous God. Our Savior Jesus is a generous and courageous Savior. That's why he went to the cross for us. That's why he wore that crown of thorns and, and allowed those, those nails to be driven through his hands and feet because he's generous and courageous. And he is going to teach us that same courage and generosity as he develops us. Write this down. God in love intends to use my trials to develop me. When we begin to learn that, and we're operating off of our identity of, I'm here to serve, man, inside our heart, things begin to change as we remind ourselves daily, I'm a servant. That's why I'm here. And as I go through tests in life, that's gonna make me stronger. God is gonna make me stronger. Now, I, I mentioned a moment ago how giving and generous our God is. I'm gonna go through these next points very, very rapidly. But as James marches through James chapter one, what I, what I would just simply say to you is he wants to make a very strong point you have a God who loves you so much. When God looks at every one of you individually, he says to himself, that person is important to me. That person matters to me. And he loves being generous and being a giver to you. And James makes this point. Because if trials are going to turn into tenacity, it starts with the faith that we have a generous, courageous God who is a giver who's walking through these trials, tests, temptations, pressures with us. Look at what he says first, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. First of all, he says, you're gonna encounter situations in, in life because we live in a not gentle world, because we live in a very critical world. Did you guys... Did you guys hear what happened after the last Cardinals game? 
I want to I read you some interesting quotes. You know they asked uh, a young man named Ryan Lindley to play quarterback? You're probably familiar with that. And, and you may have heard that there was another quarterback named Logan Thomas that could have played in that game. And I think people still had a lot of hope for the Cardinals because they thought to themselves, you know, they've overcome so many things. But when that game went down, um, Ryan struggled during that game. And to me, that's neither here nor there. But did you hear the reaction in social media to Ryan and even to Logan? Let me just read you a few quotes from Twitter. How many Ohio State quarterbacks, meaning collegiate level, not professional level quarterbacks, are are much better than Lindley? That was one tweet. Trying to find any Lindley positive. He stared down Fitzgerald for four seconds before that pick, so I guess we could say his intentions were honest. Seven players on that lateral play threw better passes than Ryan Lindley. How could Logan Thomas be worse than this? And then about Logan Thomas, they said, what did Logan Thomas do to lose the starting job to Lindley in one practice? Did he intentionally knock Bruce Arians' beanie off his head? Did Logan Thomas run over Bruce Arians' dog or something? Logan Thomas must really not be ready. It's a little bit humorous when you hear it about somebody else, but now I want you to put yourself in these guys' position. Because you've been in their position, haven't you? Where you felt criticized. Where you felt unjustly, like Ryan Lindley, he, wasn't, he was playing on a practice squad three weeks before he was starting in a playoff game. But he courageously stepped up and tried and did his best. Have you ever been in that situation? Thrown into a situation, a set of circumstances that you knew you weren't quite ready for? But you did it, and maybe it wasn't pretty, and maybe you heard a a, a lot of stuff. And, and, And frankly, people, this doesn't only happen out in the world. Sometimes it happens inside a church. Sometimes it happens between brothers and sisters in Christ that we find ourselves not being very gentle with each other at all, but rather looking for, for ways to critique and, and be a critic of one another and of the church and all these things. And do you see this passage? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives. We underline the word generously. I've made that point several times. I want you to see. I'm getting it from here. But now look at the phrase that follows that. Generously to all. Will you read the next three words with me? without finding fault. Here is the perfect and holy God of the universe who has never done a single thing wrong. And James is saying, your God is not a fault finder and a constant critic. Instead, your God is the kind of God who says, can I help? Is there something I can do to support you? love you? Is there something I can give you? Do you need some wisdom? Do you need some ideas? Do you need some thoughts? Do you need an extra set of hands? Do you need someone to run somewhere and and go somewhere for you and help you and do something? 
I'm God, I want to do that for you. Isn't that amazing? That's the heart, the generous heart that that God has for us. This is where James starts, in the gospel. The good news of the heart of our God that loves us. So write this down. God's not a critic or a fault finder. He is generous and wants to give me the wisdom I need to meet the challenges of life. Am I going to find trials in life? Yes. But do I have a source of wisdom? Yes. And it's God himself. He goes on. Believers in humble circumstances, you've been knocked on your butt. You're down on your backside. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. What? Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their, in their high position, not in their low position. You know why he says that? Jesus shows you. What is the way up for God? The way up for God is to be a servant. The way up for God is to allow yourself to be in humble circumstances. The way up for God is to sacrifice, yes, your pride and your honor and your reputation at times and be down on your butt, down on your backside. And James says, you know what, when when that is it, and this guy is talking from experience. He becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church Because after the martyrdom of Stephen in the book of Acts, you can read about it in Acts chapter seven, many believers book it entirely out of Jerusalem. James, mimicking his brother's tremendous courage, decides to stay in Jerusalem to keep the church alive, to keep the church going, to keep the church thriving. These were not good times for Christians in Jerusalem. James says, let's take pride in our humble circumstances. So write this down now. You want to you understand how your trials, like James was experiences, become tenacity? Here's a perspective changer, an inside out thing. With God, low is high. Do you know how many volunteers around this church get this? I love this church. I mean this, guys. I am not not blowing smoke at you. There are guys over in children's ministry flipping desks every week. There's a guy back there tonight brewing coffee for after the service. There was a gentleman in here when I came in with a vacuum cleaner. I don't know if he ever vacuums at home but he vacuumed here. There are people who go out on the patio and make sure our guests and our members get a warm smile and a greeting every Sunday. Hi, it's, it's great to see you. I mean, I could go on and on. The Resource Center, growth group leaders who generously give of their homes hospitality. And some of them say to me, Pastor, our home, I, I don't even know if I want to have any strangers in my home. And, and I'm like, no one cares. Just open up your home, be hospitable. And people are going to love you because they can see you loving them. You see, that's, 
That's what we're talking about here. That's what James is talking about. That's, that's how Jesus was. With God, low is high. Jesus was literally humiliated to the point of death for me, for you. And only later was he exalted to God's right hand. And perseverance, huge. It takes perseverance when you're under trial because let's be honest, it gets old, doesn't it? Real fast. When people are constantly critiquing you, when you can't seem to get a grip on the issues that you want to grip on. Remember what we talked about as we opened up the series? All the different areas of our life, time management or whatever it is, and sometimes we're like, I can't get a grip on it. I just want to give up. I don't want to even keep trying anymore. James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And the beautiful thing about this is Jesus is saying, I already have a crown for you. In a few weeks, the Super Bowl is going to be played. Do you know what they do before a Super Bowl? They create a whole bunch of t-shirts and caps for this team. You know what else they do? They create a whole bunch of t-shirts and caps for that team too. Why? They don't know who's going to win. God says, as followers of my son, Jesus Christ, I've got a a victory cap, a Super Bowl cap, and a Super Bowl t-shirt for you. And I, I know who you are. It's already set aside for you. I've got a crown waiting for you in heaven, a a victory prize that's stored up in eternity for you. Come and get it. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Write this down. Jesus has already arranged a prize at the end of the test. We're going through all these tests and we could call life itself a test. But the prize, the crown of life is already your promised possession right here, right now. As you're going through that, it's saved up for you. Turn to the top of page two. Last time I'm going to make this point. And, And really, all these are saying the same thing. It's why I'm zipping through them so quickly. God loves you. You matter to him. You're important to him. And he is generous. He's a giver. James 1.17 says it very directly. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So key point in this whole life change series, as you become a new you, it's not because of you. This is a critical point. That true life change, true becoming new, the whole point is that faith changes everything, which really means Jesus changes everything. The Holy Spirit changes everything, not I change everything. Every good and perfect gift, you want change? 
Real, true, permanent, lasting change is gonna come down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's our relationship, our faith relationship with him that makes that possible. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And then James makes this beautiful, beautiful point. Your God is a giver and he's generous, but know this, he's always generous. This is a constant Because the heart of Jesus, the heart of God never changes. You're not gonna wake up one day and go, oh, God got ticked, he turned off the faucet. Today I'm gonna go and ask him for wisdom. He's not gonna give it to me. Today I'm gonna go and ask him for forgiveness. Nope, he's gonna say. Today I'm gonna go and ask him to walk with me through my trials and temptations. Give me strength and courage to endure and persevere. And he's gonna say, I don't feel like it, I'm sleeping in today. God will never do that. He is the father of the heavenly lights. Do the heavenly lights shine every day? They do. Have you ever noticed Orion in the the south there over the mountains? It's there all the time. The North Star, always there. The sun rises every day. The sun's a star. The moon rises every day. It's a constant Our God's love is a constant just like that. The father of the heavenly lights rises every day to say, you matter to me, you're important to me, I love you. When you're in trials, temptations, tests, challenges, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. My heavenly father is constant in giving us good gifts. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I want you to underline two phrases in here. Right at the top, through the word of truth. And right at the bottom, accept the word planted in you which can save you. So the question here is, okay, our God is generous, our God loves us, he's constant and steady, but how does he work the change? How does he practically make us new? And the answer is what? See it? Everybody looking up here? This is the answer. The word of truth, the Bible and in particular, the good news message of the gospel, but we also need the guidance of the law. And sometimes we need the conviction of the law to beat down our old Adam. We need the Bible, we need the word of truth. Notice what he says, humbly accept this. I've planted, it's not just a book, I I wanna take these thoughts and these ideas and, and plant them in your heart because they can save you. In fact, they can give you a whole new life. He calls it birth. We call it faith. This book gives us faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So write this down. Faith is the very best of those gifts. Faith occurs by the power of God's word working to save us. And now he says, this is the important part though if you want to become new. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Write this down. Trials turn into tenacity when I listen to the word and do what it says. We call that here at Crosswalk the maturity cycle. This is what grows us up. This is what matures us, strengthens us. Our mission statement is that we want to have everyone become a fully developed follower of Jesus Christ. Now what, what's that gonna look like? James winds down chapter one by saying, you're gonna be amazed at how practical this is. Number one, when you allow yourself to, to cling to this word and accept the word planted in you, you're gonna get emotional control. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For some of us, we struggle with emotional control. We're going to learn more about this in the coming weeks. Our generous God, through his word, can help us with emotional control. Mouth control. Remember what my Kentucky mom used to say, Jeff? Get control of your mouth. Look at what James says. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. As we go through this book, we're gonna learn how to keep a tight rein on our tongues. Wouldn't that be awesome? Some of you are nudging your spouse right now saying, this would be good, let's come back. And then the final one is heart control where God wants us to direct our attention and our heart as he directed it first to us who so needed him to the last and the least and the lost. See what he says? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Chapter one, there's so much in it. I want to keep preaching, but I won't. Faith translates trials into tenacity. First, it tells you who you are. You are a servant of God. Secondly, it tells you who you have in your life, an amazing resource who loves you and wants to be generous to you. Thirdly, it tells you the biggest gift of all is faith, which you get by humbly accepting the word planted in you. And finally, he winds down by saying, this is going to be amazing. It's gonna be truly amazing when, when the word of God, my gift to you, gives you control over your heart and your mouth and your ability to take my generosity and be generous to the last, the least and lost of this world. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are amazed at how you address us and we thank you that you sent your son Jesus for us. We thank you so much that you give us these, these words to read that, that describe how you want to make us new people. We want to hear them, learn from them. Father, we want to put them into practice into our lives. Open our hearts to be excited about this series and about how you transform our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. Guide our hearts and guide our minds so that these words that 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 uh, Jesus' brother James wrote will be deeply embedded for us. 
Lord, I wanna pray for those who may be struggling in some areas of their life tonight who really, really want to change something in their life. Would you bring them back to the future weeks of this series, Lord? And would you move their hearts to think about a growth group where they can learn to put these words into practice in their lives? I pray that this message would, would move them to see and celebrate the love of their Savior Jesus who is so generous to all of us. And our hope is that our souls and our spirits, our minds and our wills would be moved to love you, Jesus, to pursue you, to obey you, and to enjoy you as you have done all of those things first for us. Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit to move our hearts, guide our words, open our ears. We pray this in the name of our righteous and holy, loving and faithful Savior, Jesus. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. New you, that's what this series is about. But if you go home with one thing tonight, I want you to go home with this. This is completely an inside-out change. I'm not saying that writing a list of goals is bad. I'm not, I'm not saying that totally turning your calendar all around so you can accomplish your, your goals is bad. Do those things, but those are outside things. If you truly want to become a new you, it's three things. Live in your identity, dearly loved child of God and servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, know the generous and loving God to whom you matter so dearly is walking right alongside of you every step of the word. And three, carry a Bible with you wherever you go because that's the power for rebirth and true life change. Those are the three keys to what, what's, everything that's gonna come in this series. Oh yeah, number four, come back next week. We got more for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.